0: Let's open up God's Word and let's see what uh, He has to say to us and hear from Him this morning. So why don't you turn to Acts chapter 2. We're studying through that uh, book together and uh, we're going probably at a pace that you would uh, suspect. um, And uh, we've hit an important part on the church and I thought it would be even more important to slow down a little bit considering the fact that we come here every week. We should probably know what we're getting into and uh, we should probably know what God has to say about that. So we are going to slow down here and, and be able to take uh, this section um, as, as closely and as in-depth as we can and, and set a foundation for us a, as a church moving forward. And uh, so we're learning about the first church or the first Christian fellowship together in Acts chapter 2. And, and we're looking at specifically verses 42 all the way down to verse 47. And so I'm going to read this section together and I'll pray for us. And uh, we'll jump in to see what, uh, what God has for us. So this is what it says, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we get the privilege to sit underneath the teaching of God's Word. Every seven days, we come back and we get to open up the Word of God, written by the Holy Spirit, who inspired men to to write out these precious words that you give to us. May we never take it for granted. And Lord, we do ask that these words would not just become new knowledge that remains in our heads, but that it would be moved into our hearts for transformation. And that only happens when the Holy Spirit does His work in our hearts. And so we pray towards that end. We want to become more like Jesus this morning. We want to be greater witnesses for you this morning. And so help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I uh, came across an advertisement, and the headline of the advertisement said this, grow your church by 33% in 2024. Now, that's myself. I'm going to click on this to see what it has to say. Good old-fashioned clickbait, so they say, and I bit on it. And I read the first couple things that this person said would be good for the church to grow at 33%. I don't know where they came up with 33%, but uh, this is what they say. And the first thing they said was this, is that the leadership needs to consult AI, chat GPT, to help with illustrations, videos, breaks or bumpers and sermons, marketing, And small group discussion questions. Just so you know, I've never, ever used chat. It scares me. I've never used, I don't even know where to find this guy. (laughs) How do you chat with chat GPT? I have no idea. Is that the same as A? I, I just don't know. Secondly, it said this. You need to incorporate mass text messaging with your church. So I thought to myself, "Great, I'll do a, a massive text with three to 400 people and we'll kick out anybody who doesn't have an iPhone. <laughs> Everybody who doesn't have an iPhone, just got offended. We're not going to do that. We're not going to consult a machine for how to grow the church. We're not going to do massive text messaging to grow the church. I read that, and then I went to Acts chapter 2 and read verses 42 down to verse 47 of what the early church did, and they never sat down and said, hey, what do we need to do to grow our church by 33% this year? They never sat down and said, hey, we've got to increase attendance. We've got to do something. Things aren't going so well right now. I, uh, we we got to do something or things are going well. We, we, we got to stay ahead of the game. We got to stay ahead of the culture. What do we need to do? We got to start getting creative. Let's spend our, our days thinking creatively so that we can always stay ahead and we can always be ahead. Let's have a think tank on how to get unbelievers into the church. That, that's not at all what the early church had in mind. In fact, the early church didn't even have a strategy for growth. They didn't have a five-step plan to bring more unbelievers into the church. In fact, the only thing that Jesus said to them, if you remember all the way back in Acts 1, the only thing that Jesus said to them was to do this, just wait, just wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be a witness from Jerusalem to Judea De- and to the ends of the earth. He never said to them, after the Holy Spirit comes, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to win people. This is, this is the method. This is the plan. This is, this is how you're going to go influence the world. No, it became so obvious to them that the only bullet that they had in their holster, the only arrow in their quiver by which they were going get to get, get people saved and into the kingdom of God, Was through ministering the word of God. That was all they had. They didn't have fancy buildings. They didn't have nurseries. Kids ministries. Youth ministries. They had one thing. They had the word of God. And their role and their job was to. Take the word of God. And distribute it out to the people. They needed to. As it says there in verse 42, they needed to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. This is all that they had. They had the word of God and they had each other. And this is the game plan. This is the the blueprint that God gives to the church to say, hey, if you just run this play, you're going to be a healthy and effective church. If you just do what God says and let him worry about the numbers, let him worry about the, uh, the way, uh, the effectiveness of the church. If you just, just do what God says, he's going to do what he promised, which is to build his church. And so the priority then for the early church were these very things. Teach the word of God, be in fellowship with one another. Break bread, meaning take communion with one another. Pray for one another. And you can see down in verse 47 uh, what they did as well. They they praised God. They worshiped one another. And then we can see at the end of verse 47, they didn't stay in their homes. But somehow the word got out because day by day, more and more people were coming to them. And so they were also a witnessing church. They never worried about marketing. Marketing? Marketing what? Let's just go share the gospel. They never worried about being seeker sensitive. They never worried about being emergent or pragmatic. Their concern was the word of God being distributed into the lives of believers and then out into the lives of unbelievers. I read this in the, the Seattle Times in 2018. I mean, you guys just got nervous that I'm reading the Seattle Times. Don't worry, it was just a, just a phrase. It said this, Washington has never been as secular as it is right now. And that was in 2018 when they said that. We could say that every year, right? In 2019, in 2020, in 2021, it's never been more secular than it has ever been, than it is right now. So what does the church do? Does the church say, hey, it's fourth and 99, we need to punt, on God's plan, and we need to come up with a new one. Everything's going the wrong way. We got to come up with a new plan. Is that what the church does? Or does the church say, no, we're going to stick to the priorities and the blueprints and the game plan that God gave to us, and that actually worked effectively for the early church. Are we going to run that plan, or are we going to come up with a new one? And I believe this, church, if we would just stick to God's plan, for how the church should run. If we would just stick to God's plan for, for how a church is to be healthy and effective, I believe that God is going to bless the church. And he already has. He's certainly blessed this church. I could tell you, I could have never came up with this strategy for you guys to be sitting right here in this roof, underneath this roof right now. I'm not that creative. God builds his church. And all we do is just run the play. We just hike the ball and run the play. And we see this in this text then, the six defining marks of an effective church. And the first one that we learned about last week, if you weren't there, let me just kind of set us up here for, for what it says. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first effective mark, the first mark of an effective church is this, is that it's a learning church. It's the learning church. The Holy Spirit has come down upon uh, the 120 apostles and believers that were there in Acts chapter 2. The beginning of Acts chapter 2, they, they began to speak each in their own language. The Jews that were there were thinking to themselves, what is going on? So Peter stands up and he gives explanation as to what's going on there in in Acts chapter 2. And then uh, as he he gives explanation, he begins to uh, then teach about Christ, that he's the Messiah. And you get down to the end of Acts 2 and he calls people to repent. And they repent of their sins. In fact, it even says, and uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That happens in verse 41. They received the word. They were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is an amazing revival that happens right here in Jerusalem. And you have to think about this. Uh, in that time, there's this feast that's happening. And there's probably uh, estimated somewhere around a million people right there at, at this festival. Right there. All, even all throughout Palestine, maybe around, around a, thou, a, thousand, or a million people there. And there's 3,000 now believers. The odds are against them, right? I mean, that's worse numbers than we've got in Seattle. I mean, there's not very many believers. 3,000 to 1 million? What was the church going to do? What were they going to devote themselves? What was the next play? What What was the next step? How are they going to get this message out? Were they they going to go and say, hey, what are our KPI indexes here? What 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 is a good business plan here that we can get? What what are the gurus saying about about how how to plant churches? And what are the gurus saying about how to get people in? No, they did this. They devoted themselves to being a church that wanted to learn about Jesus Christ. They got together. They devoted themselves, in fact to one another. Teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer, worship, witnessing. They actually went this way instead of this way. They wanted to strengthen one another. You can actually see here, there's a bit of a flow here. They went and they were taught. They enjoyed fellowship together. They were reminded of communion. They prayed. All came upon them. They worshiped God. And out of that worship then came this witnessing and people were added to their number. You say, well, should the church care about the unbeliever? Of course the church should care about the unbeliever. You say, well, should we not welcome unbelievers into the church? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, is that we should welcome anybody into our church. We should welcome... Your friends, your family, anybody and all are welcome into the church. But listen, we don't cater the service to the unbeliever. We don't cater the message to the unbeliever. The church is for believers. In fact, we see it there a number of times. We're or, or reminded over and over and over again. They were devoted. Who were they? Those who, were, those who were, were saved and those who received the Holy Spirit. In verse 44, and all who believed had all things in common. The church is designed for the believer, yet we welcome people into what we're doing. And they walk in here and they go, wow, this place is different. This place is unique. This place is special. This place isn't actually like the world. What's going on in here? Why is it so different? Why is it so unique? So this church was a a learning church. Secondly, we saw this, that this church was a communion-taking church. And we we jumped ahead to the communion-taking because last week we were able to even do that, uh, have communion together for those of you who are here. And so we began to understand why communion was so important to the early church. As the grace of God is extended to believers just in the, the taking of uh, the bread and taking of, of the cup together It reminds us of our unity with Christ and our union uh, with one another. That the presence of the Lord is, is unique when the church family takes communion together. Which le- leads us then thirdly to this. Another defining mark of an effective church is this, is that it's a mutually caring church. A mutually caring church. Look at what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, what does it say? The fellowship. The fellowship. When the early church came together, they were serious about the kind of community and the kinds of relationships they would have with one another. It tells us exactly the the nature of this community of believers that came together, and and the word that's chosen here is the word fellowship. The word fellowship is kind of a it feels like an archaic word a little bit, right? Nobody says, "Hey, you guys want to just have some fellowship on Friday night? Get a little good old good old fashioned fellowship together." We don't. We don't use that language a whole lot. We have a, a fellowship hall though over, over here where, where the new members are right now and every fellowship hall has a kitchen attached to it. You can't have a fellowship hall. There's no kitchen attached to it where there's coffee being brewed 24 seven in the church. All right, so it's not so archaic that we don't we don't even know have any idea what it means. Oftentimes, when when, when we think of fellowship, or the world thinks about fellowship, we think of a time where we're, hey, we're just hanging out, right? Hey, we're just getting together. The game's on. Hey, you guys want to come over? Let's watch the game together. Uh, you want to grab a cup of coffee together? Maybe maybe throwing a donut there together. Uh, and just having just just time of uh, of fellowship together. Usually revolves around food friendship, family, any other word that we could think of that starts with F because the fellowship. But the Greek word here, and I want you to write this down, it's important. I usually don't always talk about the Greek words. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word is koinonia. It's an important word as it's used throughout the New Testament. This word fellowship or koinonia, it, it means this. I put this up on the screen for you. It means obviously fellowship. It means association, community. We looked at this a little bit last week. It actually means communion. It's where we even get the word for communion, the communion table. It means a joint participation it was the sharing of anything together, whether that was your finances or your material possessions. It was the sharing of life together. It was a participation with one another. And even oftentimes, the word is even used in the New Testament to refer to a business partnership. All right, that's where we get the idea of a, a ministry partnership. It, it comes from this word, uh, koinonia. It also has the idea of a, uh, of a, a gift that's that's uh, uh, contributed kind of jointly together with a, within a community, a, a, a collection that's brought together or a contribution that comes together. And all of that was, was a sign or proof of the fact that you were part of a fellowship, a relationship, a, a community, a life on life participation with one another. And there's two realities here that I want to talk about when it comes to this word, Cornania, for us to really understand what was happening with this New Testament church, this this very first fellowship. And the two realities are this. Number one, that true fellowship is rooted in a spiritual union with Christ and one another. True fellowship. Biblical fellowship is rooted in a spiritual union with Christ and with one another. And we'll look at the next one. I'll just say it to you and we'll come back to it. That true fellowship is displayed in sharing possessions with generosity. Sharing possessions with generosity. Right? The first one spiritual union with Christ and with one another. This is at the heart of biblical fellowship. True fellowship happens, listen church, when we recognize that we are united together because of the bond that we have in Jesus Christ. For those of you who are listening to Jonah, stand up here and introduce the song. This is the very words that he said. People who are outside of the true fellowship don't understand the grace of God. But those who are inside and, and recognize and the Holy Spirit is within them and transform their lives, there is a unity and a union that happens within the family of God. And as believers, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Our hearts have been transformed and we have now new life, new perspective, new purpose. We have a new mission. We have a new beginning to our lives. We've been united with Jesus Christ, meaning we have died with Christ. We have suffered with Christ. We've, we've been to, uh, raised to life with Christ in a newness of life. And that, that unifies the family of God together in a unique way, in a unique fellowship. This is far different than the way the world comes together. Why does the world come together? The world comes together around Hobbies. The world comes together around ethnicities. The world comes together around likes and dislikes. You've got a, a fishing club and you've got a, a sports team and you've got, uh, you've got work and people who have the same, same likes at work and those things come together and there's, there's nothing supernatural around that. That's very natural. But when the church comes together, the world looks at it and goes, how in the world are all of you united? You guys don't even have the same likes, but yet you love each other. You invest in one another. How is that? It's because we recognize that we're united around and in Jesus Christ. Well, these first Christians came together, certainly filled with all kinds of Jews from different backgrounds. What united them together now was not. Their heritage was not their families. What united this group together for the first time was that they were united together in Jesus Christ and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. It's time for, for us to get moving here through, through the Bible. First uh, Corinthians 1 9. I want you to see this and in 1 Corinthians 1 9. It says this. It says very simply God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You have been called into this fellowship. In Galatians. Chapter 2, in verse 20, it says this. It says that I, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, a, this is an amazing verse on the union we have with Christ because it's no longer my life. It is now Christ's life within me. And I have this unity with him. Turn over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 John 1 and in verse 1 it says... That which was from the beginning and which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, here it is, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What is he saying? He's saying this, that the church is supernaturally united and in fellowship with one another because of Jesus Christ. And we share in that. And we have fellowship then with one another because of our common commitment and our common love with Jesus Christ. He drives us. He motivates us. And so when we look around the room, and even in this room, we look around the room, this is what we recognize, that we share the same Lord Jesus, that we share the same guide for life. That we share the same love for God. We share the same desire to worship Him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. We share the same job of living for Him. We share the same joy of communicating the gospel. We share the same mission to evangelize the lost. We share the same purpose to give God the glory. We share the same joy from Christ. We share the same love for Christ. We share the same Spirit of God. We share the same brotherhood and sisterhood. We share the same spiritual family. And we begin to see this that the church is so much more than just coming together and singing a few songs. It's so much more than just coming together and sitting down and and listening to a sermon. It's so much more than just coming together and serving. Yes, it's all those things, but more than that, at the deep level, we share in so much more than we recognize because of our unity in Jesus Christ. The church becomes really unique when that happens. The church becomes really powerful when we recognize that. We belong to Christ, which means this we belong to one another. This is our common ground. It's not social, it's not economical, it's not anything superficial. We're united because of Christ. And because we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. We share the same heartbeat. We possess a common eternal life. We're of the same family, which means, yes, when I grew up, I'd always heard people say... Uh, to one another. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. And I'm like, yeah, you're not my brother. You know, I've got three of those. You see, you hear the phrase, the brethren. When we understand the unity we have in Christ, we recognize this, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We inherit a new family. That still means we've got crazy aunts and uncles. That's, uh, that doesn't change. You guys decide who the crazy ones are. Now nah, I'm not going to dare do that. I'll let you guys do that. And we recognize the person behind us, the person in front of us. That's my brother in Christ. They're hurting. I want to care for them. That's my sister in Christ. I, she's hurting. I want to care for her. I, I, I even have an obligation to that, I have a duty to that. That's my family. I worship with them. They've committed themselves to Christ and to this this local family. And and the Bible says that we're all all members of of one body. And right now we've got a broken leg. I want to go mend the broken leg. And Christian fellowship then takes on such a a deeper level than than just hanging out together and talking shop. talking culture, talking politics. What do you think about It's a voting year. That's all we're going to talk about till November. The weather so much more than that church. So much deeper than that. These are real meaningful relationships and there's depth, there's transparency. It moves from hovering of the superficial and it gets down to the spiritual level. And We recognize that we're united around Christ and out of that, we recognize then that there should be no selfish ambition, there should be no envy, there should be no jealousy, but a mutual care for one another. I love you simply because we have a commonality in Jesus Christ. Because God loves me, I love you that's fellowship. That's true biblical fellowship. Look at the second reality then. Let me show you a second reality then of when it comes to true fellowship, and it is this. True fellowship is displayed in the sharing of possessions with generosity. Look back at what it says in Acts 2. Look what it says. It says, verse 43, awe came upon every soul, Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And here we go, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. What's that commonality, right? That genuine fellowship around Christ. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together. They were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad. And generous hearts and because of that they were praising God and out of this worship they were having favor with all kinds of people and people were just coming in and saying what is going on in here what is happening in here this is not normal how do I get to be part of the family of God and they say you need to repent of your sins and embrace Jesus Christ as the Messiah and people were coming united around the same things, the love for one another, seeing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. What did they do? They, they started offering to them their lives. And, and by lives, they're starting to offer to them their material possessions, wherever there was a need. They're willing to say, Hey, I've got enough. I've got excess. How can I help somebody else? They did this with generosity. They did this gladly. They did this, they did this happily. Whenever there was a Christian in need, they, they said, hey, here, here, here's some help. I can help you. I can help one another. I, I want to help you. You're on the same mission that I'm on. We're pursuing the same things, and, and you're in need, and I've got more than I need. Let me help you out. Jerry Bridges, in a, in a book, uh, it's, it's one of his lesser-known books. Those of you who like Jerry Bridges, it, it's called The Crisis of Caring. And I, and I like Jerry Bridges, just so you know. He says this, fellowship denotes primarily a community relationship of all believers. It should not surprise us that one of the principal means of expressing that relationship is through sharing our material goods with those in need. This practical demonstration of care and concern for other members of the body of Christ is, very, is a very important expression of New Testament fellowship. What are you saying? What did they do? They shared. That's what it comes down to. They, they mutually cared by sharing with one another. Look at this verse in Romans 15. Verse 20, 26 and 27, it says this, and I've got a couple here. I just want us to see this biblically, this principle. It says, for Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Here it is. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they got also to be of service to them in material blessings. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 4, it says this, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to these mean, to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Look at this: begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging the leaders: Can we please give? Can we please meet needs? I want to be that guy that meets needs. We want to be the church that meets needs. That was the heart of fellowship. They wanted to meet the needs and take part of relief in the saints. And this is with what? Those who had extreme poverty, they still wanted to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9.13, it says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them. And for all others. What was the New Testament church doing? How did they display this incredible fellowship and love for one another? It says there very clearly. It says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were even willing to say, hey, we've, we've got enough. I I'm willing to to sell this off for the for the gospel to expand. I I've been blessed beyond what I need and there's a need at the church. There's there's a need with some families. I, I want to meet that need. In fact, pastor, would you let me know so I can help people? I want to be that family We also know later on that there are even those who sold their land. Now, there's an interesting story we'll get to about when they did sell their land. They they actually died because they lied about how much it was worth, how much they actually gave. But they said, hey, we've got land. We don't need this land. Maybe we could use this land for the kingdom of God. How can we use this land for the kingdom of God? It's just sitting there. It's just dirt. Can we do something on it? What do you guys need it for? You guys want to put something on it? That's, this, this was their heart. They wanted to be generous. They wanted to meet needs. They wanted to meet needs financially. They wanted to meet needs uh, with their, their possessions. It would be the mindset of, hey, I've got a spare bedroom. I've got a spare basement. I've got, uh, is, there, is there a hurting marriage? Do they need a getaway One one of the homes that I have? Do they need a, a weekend away? Do we, what can I do? How can I help? This was the mindset they just wanted to share, and they just wanted to meet needs. And they did with this with gladness. Now, some of you are thinking this sounds a lot like communism. <laughs> right? Is this communism? Take from those who have a lot and give it all to the poor? This is not communism. Although some would use this to argue for communism. Here's the difference. They did it freely. And they did it Generously. They were not compelled to do it. There was nobody standing over them with a gun and said, hey, you've got to do this. It was not government mandated. Listen, this was the spirit of God working in the hearts of these believers who said, hey, we want the word of God to flourish. And to do that, we need to make sure that everybody is taken care of. How can we help? How can we share? How can we bless this ministry moving forward? I'm gonna give my life to it. it. includes my possessions. say, well, did they sell their homes? They did not sell their homes because they met in their homes. They kept their homes so that they could meet in their homes. They broke bread in their homes. They invited people into their homes and fed them. They invited people in their homes and had true and genuine fellowship and conversation and relationship with them. And they had this love for one another and they supported each other. And this was not optional for the early church. This was a commitment. This was a priority. They wanted to be in fellowship with one another, and they wanted to be generous with what they had. And church, we need to recognize this, that fellowship is not a spiritual luxury. It's not optional for the church. This is who we are, and this is what we do. We love one another and we care for one another. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 122, verse 1. It says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Can that be like set to our alarms on Sunday morning? Like that's what flashes on our phone. Let us go to the house of the I am glad my alarm went off. Let us go to the house of the Lord. I cannot wait to be with God's people today. I want to minister to someone today. I want to serve someone today. I want to be fed spiritually today. I want to pray today with God's people. Let us go to church this morning. There's such love that was there within the church. In fact, Tertullian, which is a, a, a writer early, early on, around 200, he, he, he says this. He said that on one occasion, the, the Roman government became suspicious of the early church. Here's why they became suspicious of the early church. In fact, it was so much so that the, the Roman government sent, in, sent spies into the early church. That's how suspicious they were. The spies came back, and this is what they said of the Christian church, these early fellowships. They said this they do not have idols. Instead, they worship one by the name of Jesus who was absent. Then they added how those Christians love each other and how they fellowship with one another. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes you say to yourself, I'm not good at apologetics. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know what to say. How can I possibly be an influence to anybody? Here's how. Love the brethren. Care for each other. I've always said this to you guys. That the greatest effect that you will have on the watching world is by your own personal purity. And when that all comes together... And we love each other like Christ loved us within the church. The world is going to go, what is happening inside that church? I need that. I want that so bad I don't have that. You guys love each other. You guys care for each other. You're you're even willing to help one another out. You hardly even know that person. Oh, how the church loved one another. And I can tell you this, as your pastor, you guys do such a good job of this already. You really do. Some of you are still sitting here because during the welcome time, I stood up here and said, turn around and shake someone's hand. And you did so. Maybe you didn't want to, but you did. And that person that you welcomed needed someone to say, hey, welcome to church. Thank you for being here. How did you hear about us? How can we help you? And you're still sitting here today because you recognize the warmth of this place. And that's not because of me. That's because of you. That's fellowship. When we all just do our part to say, I'm going to love that person. I don't know what they went through. I don't know if you had a good week or a bad week. Everybody looks like they, they had a good week. The reality is, is that we all didn't have a good week. And we need somebody to just come alongside of us and say, hey, you're a brother and sister in Christ. I'm so glad you're here. You want to grab coffee? What are you doing for lunch? Can we break bread together? Maybe don't say break bread, but you could say, hey, can we? Sometimes I say it. Hey, just break some bread together. Right? In true biblical fellowship and love for one another. Let's excel still more. One more thing, okay? One more thing and I'll let you go. Okay, this is a fascinating phrase that I, that I heard today. Okay, get ready. Write this down. Okay, everybody write this down. I don't see, I don't hear pens clicking. Let's go, write this down. Consumerism kills genuine relationships. If our church becomes a consumer church, we will kill genuine relationships, right? If you are a consumer churchgoer, you will kill genuine relationships. Don't be a consumer at church. Be a giver at church and you will recognize the blessing of a genuine relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And you can never, ever, ever outgive God. Right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my heart is always stirred when I get to talk about the church. And Lord, in a unique way, I've seen this lived out. When the family of God comes together and loves one another. And is gen- generous and genuine and warm. And so to talk about fellowship is such a joy for me. I think we all know what it's like to have relationships outside the church. With unbelievers. And how hard those can be at times. And how superficial those can be. And then to come inside the church where there's such warmth. Warmth and love, and care for one another, because we're united around our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we get to talk about God, and what He's doing in our lives. We get to talk about our struggles, and our hurts, and our our pains. We get to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we get to weep with those who weep. The church is just so special, and so unique in that way. Lord, I pray for for our church, this church, that we would continue to grow in our love for one another. That we would grow in a true fellowship and enjoyment for one another. That we'd be willing to make sacrifices and and be willing to to share with generosity our homes, our lives, financially, financially. Reminding ourselves that we can never outgive you, and the blessing and the joy that comes from that, we get to feel that on a weekly basis. And may we be saddened right now because we have to leave, but so excited that we get to come back next week to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping and singing songs and learning about you and encouraging one another and not being a consumer, but a giver to the church. And would you bless us for that? In Jesus' name, amen.